The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, that's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout, and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. You're wanting to know more about saddle hunting? Well, check out TetheredNation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. And now, let's get to the show. Hey guys, last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women and by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you start to unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free stuff, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. Well, it's been a good week so far. For me, it's been a really good week, uh, mostly because Jared gave me a really nice quota tag that he got but uh it's been awesome it's been really good yeah you've had a you've had a good one yeah i'm expecting you to like pack stuff up as soon as we get done with this podcast and say well guys i gotta go home oh it's gotta leave <laughs> we're batting a thousand we're three for three in three days that's true mostly due to parker's effort i mean listen that that first tag that quota tag that was like I, you might be. The, would you give that tag to anybody? No, he's a good. He's a good fella. Yeah, I, I, I burned three anybody. points for that tag. It, By the way, you did steal my tag. He didn't tell you that. I didn't. Th- okay, so <laughs> oh, tell, let's so, hear the story because okay. I didn't know that either. Okay, you so didn't. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so this is what happened, and it's partially Casey's fault. So it is, it's all my fault. So I drew the the quota, and we've been talking about this for before like, the quota season. A oh, year. hey, also yeah. uh, W. Uh, podcast rule don't name wmas yeah we don't name drop yeah all right so before i even applied um i knew i had three points and that there was a very 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 high odds chance that i was going to get the quota that my heart desired and i'd been talking to casey through instagram and facebook for a while about coming down and hunting i can't remember i can't remember how we started talking about it but i don't remember either uh, and so November rolls around and I apply for quotas and I tell him I got three points. I'm getting drawn. Like there is no, <clears throat> there's no way around it. I'm getting mm-hmm. this quota. So if you want to finish your slam and get an Osceola, come on down. Well, and I explained to him like in great detail, you know, Hey, this is, 
uh, three oh, years. Yeah, you, th- you told th- me to apply. I told him to apply, and I it gave him literally the five choices he needed to apply for and gave him the best chances of getting drawn. Um, and then also explain like, hey, I'm burning three points to get this quota, and I'm going to let you pull the trigger if you come down. And you're going to – you w- like, we will kill a turkey. Like, there's no getting around it. We are going to fill our tag. And he kind of felt bad. He kind of was like, man, I don't, I don't really feel good about coming down and pulling the trigger on your quota hunt. Like, you're burning points for that. <laughs> and I was like, and well, heck yeah, I, knew I will. you weren't blowing smoke up because – I mean, I was sending him pictures. Like, right. I've been to a lot of places, hunted a lot of places, and there's always guys, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But I could tell that you were serious – you had proof to back it up. Yeah. And I was like, this guy's for real. So I'm going to try to go down there. So fast forward, quota results come out, and I get the quota that I wanted, and I didn't hear anything from him. So, and then I think I messaged you like you, in you December. You messaged me when you got it, and I was like, oh no. Because you had to put in, I was like, November 5th, 10th, something like that. Yeah, it's in the middle of hunt season. And I am knee-deep in deer in Illinois, and I'm not thinking about a turkey ever during that time frame. And he's like, I got my quota tag, and I'm like, oh, I forgot to put in for it. And then we talked about it. Like I was like, okay. And I, I thought we were kind of done deal. And then we didn't talk about it again for a month because I ended up getting COVID, and I was Yeah, he was down for, down for, for a while. Six weeks. So one thing leads to another, and I was like, oh, Casey's not coming down. And then I reached out to Parker – He's just trying to give that tag to somebody. Oh, well, like. like, okay. He just so, wanted somebody so, else to have so, it. So, let's, so, in a way, yeah. I want to promote and I want to display and show, and I, and I hope through both of y'all's YouTube channels are going to see, like, what Florida has to offer and how good the quota system is and, and the good that it does. But also the places that don't require a quota as well have great opportunity as well, and, and hopefully the viewers will see that. But um, so I – texted parker and was like hey i got this jam up quota you want to come down and kill an osceola like it's pretty much a done deal like we're going to the honey hole so let me interrupt you there because the way our draws work in alabama for the soas for the soas is when you invite a guest if you if a guest is allowed to come they can shoot their like each one of them gets a gets a a deer or turkey or whatever Mm -hmm. I've I've not seen it a lot, which I've never put in for them for turkeys or anything like that, so I don't really know. But I think both people can shoot a bird. Well, in in Florida, it's a shit on the quota hunts. Typically, and it's it's WMA specific. Like you have to read the rules, but typically it's a shared bag limit. Meaning, if it's a two bird quota, it doesn't matter who pulls the trigger. You're only allowed two birds on that quota. If it's a one bird quota, you know, it's one bird. Yeah. Um, so either party can pull the trigger, but once the tag is or the quota is met, you're done. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to Parker and was like, "Hey, come down. I've got this badass BA hunt coming up, and you can make a PG-13 if you want. A badass to. hunt and, and for opening weekend, like, and and you know, here's what we've done in years past. Like, this is pretty much a hundred percent success rate. I'm 29, and I've been hunting this property since I was old enough to walk, and I don't think we have ever not killed when we've gotten the quota. Um, it's a lot of turkey. And Austin can attest to that because he's gotten it, and we've gone out there and have had a ball. It's the spot. Yeah, it's, like that's it's where you want to be. It's the cat's meow. There's no getting around it. So Parker accepts and is like, heck, yes, I'm coming. <laughs> well, then 
Casey reaches out to me like two weeks afterwards and is like, heck yes, I'm coming. I was like, hey, what's the dates on that? Because yeah. I was trying to schedule. Yeah. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I immediately realized like, oops, we have a problem. And it was no big deal to me. I was just happy to well, come down and so, film a hunt. And- so it ended up, it all worked itself out. One of my close friends who lives a mile from my house, his name's Kyle, and you'll see him on Casey's channel and, and probably in some of Parker's pictures as well. Kyle drew the exact same quota that I had for the same dates, same WMA, same hunt, same everything. And once I realized, like, we had a conflict, I reached out to Casey and was like, hey, um, Parker kind of accepted, but my one of my kind good of. friends has the same hunt and on the same place, the same dates, like, I can't speak to my friend to give away his quota, but he has said that you can be his guest. And I, as much as I want to finish my slam, it doesn't matter if I pull the trigger on this trip. Like, like I'm addicted to filming turkeys. Oh no 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 no! Get no, shot no, no, by no, no, anybody. No. You 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 pulling the trigger? I mean, I hope so, but I'll be just as happy with filming. I will let a long beard walk and I to mean force him to pull the trigger. Um, so it ended up working itself out. Casey hunted with our good friend Kyle. Um, and Kyle shot a really nice bird around lunchtime yeah. on opening day. And they had an incredible hunt. I mean, we called what in, you dream of. Called in birds at every pull-in spot that we went in and, and checked for birds. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you can't even make it up. And y'all then, were like, at that point, it seemed like y'all were just waiting for the perfect opportunity. They were cherry-picking. He had yeah. roosted a bird. Bird flies down. He comes up. I gave him the kill signal. If you can kill him, kill him. He's not coming any closer. Bird walked off. We worked around him. Didn't end up happening. We went in another spot. We called in nine jakes twice because there was a bird goblin in there, and I thought maybe the gobbler was still back there, and I called him back twice. Went in another spot, saw two, almost made a play, but there was another hunter in there. We didn't want to interfere with his hunt. And then uh, we walked in on a spot. It was right around lunch. And we were walk, both walking down the road, mid stride, and we both—I'm pretty sure we both planted our left foot at the same time, <laughs> walking in unison, and said, "That was a turkey gobble." And we both got calls out. We called to him. He gobbled. We walked 20 yards, and he met us in the middle. And it's so cool. Y'all had like y'all did have like the day. Video. Yeah, it was awesome. The day. So yeah. so jam up. So Kyle and Casey had the day that I wanted to have for me and Parker with ultimately pulling the trigger but i wanted to make a hunt out of it and the old adage you don't look a gift horse in the mouth rang true so so it's friday evening the day before opening day and parker and i are are headed to go scout and and try and roost a bird um and i have it's almost too much of too many good spots like kyle and i talked about this like we know this place so well you end up in this this mindset of like indecision it's like okay well we've done this here we've done that there i've got birds over here i've got birds over there like you just have a, a rolodex of too many spots yeah. that are good and and it's almost too much of a good thing so parker rolls into town we hop in my truck we ride out there flipping roll into town like dang dude that rain oh, I, I swam into soon. town that was brutal it yeah. was so bad. And, like, all the way from Coleman all the way to the Florida state line, there was, like, a hard line of clouds right over the state line. And, I mean, that was from Coleman to, like, Dothan is 
five hours, four and a half hours, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And it was. Yeah, it beat, dude, the, it it beat was, the paint off your truck. Literally. <laughs> literally. Beat the, the paint hood. off of the hood of my truck. Yeah. I've never. I'm, same here. It was. Driven through that thick of rain. That so, was crazy. The week before, Kelly, my girlfriend, was in town. And we had some time to kill in the middle of the day looking for something to do bored. And we ride out there to go scout. And we go to an area, to a gate that I've never been in. Never hunted it, never scouted it. Um, and it's a gate that you can drive in. Um, so this we, is what got me freaking fired up. About so we, so it's, it's, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We drive out there. We pull up. We pull into this gate. Gates open. This is a drivable road into this management area. And I've never been in this particular section. So I drive in there and I'm just looking out on X and I can see a couple more drivable roads. And I pull up to the very first T intersection. And I, I see it coming. So I slow down and creep up to the T and I peek around the corner in my truck and I see a strutter down there about 125 yards in the road. And then Kelly sees it. And we watch him for a minute, and he doesn't really spook all that hard. He just comes out of strut, kind of acknowledges our presence, and then turns and walks into the woods. So I decide to pull down there because I wanted to see, how one, how long you've been strutting there. I was looking for strut marks in, in the Sandy Road. And then, two, I wanted to drop a pin where he was strutting at because this is late in the afternoon. And I'm like, well, if he's here at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if worse comes to worse on our hunt, we know we can come in here late in the day and, and have, you know, and have an opportunity. Well, I pull up to the spot where he was strutting at, and I roll my window down, and there's two longbeards 40 yards from the truck standing there with one hen. So I'm videoing it. I whip out my cell phone. Kelly's watching it. I pop a diaphragm call in my mouth just to see if they would gobble. I start cutting at them as hard as I can, and both birds at the same time gobble on, on my cell phone video. And I start yelping. As soon as they gobble, I'm yelping the next sequence of yelps. Well, the next sequence of yelps, three birds gobble. There's one that's behind them that I can't see. And I just keep pouring it to them. And it ends up being four longbeards standing there. There's two that I'm looking at 40, 50 yards from the truck window. I'm sitting in my driver's seat with the truck in park. And there's one that's just out of sight. And there's one that's kind of back behind us a little bit that we had driven past. I drop a pin and immediately send the video to Parker and Casey in Austin. It was like, oh, heck, yeah, we've, we've, got, we've got some birds found. Um, You're gonna, you just made a lot of people mad with that story about calling to a turkey before opening day. Uh, he sent it to me, and I was like, you normally call out a tur call <laughs> oh, yeah. turkeys out of your truck? I, I'll try to hoot out if I can, but I'll cut and yelp at them before opening day, especially I mean, the week, week I guess up. I guess it, 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 it is a difference in non-pressured – you know, through the quota system. Here's here's what I like. Um, let me say this, and I want to go around the table real quick and introduce everybody because no, nobody knows who y'all are yet. Um, but uh, the quota system, I believe, is really cool. Like, especially a state like Alabama where we're dealing with a lot of these new rule changes. A lot of southern states are dealing with a lot of rule changes. And to see this system – that which obviously there's a lot of turkeys in Florida, uh, but I do want to talk about this a little bit uh, later on in the podcast. But see the system that works that keeps these places 
keeps pressure low but gives everybody an opportunity you know like if you're a if you're a resident of florida and you're working that quota system well i mean a lot of people are pulling tags most people i know pull something every year yeah um it may not be the one that they wanted or whatever but they'll still be able to go to a spot they have an opportunity that's not yeah and I think I think that's a really cool way of giving everybody the opportunity. They still there's still these places that are open, so people can still hunt open places without like quota. we are right now without yeah. quota. But I, I thought that's really cool. I think that's really neat. So so let's back up. So now so let's fast forward. So that happens the week before opening day. It's Friday, the day before opening day. Parker gets into town after driving through a monsoon. We hop in my truck to go roost birds. <laughs> and, and I and I say the word roost lightly because we typically don't. We it's hard to roost birds in the south. Very very low success rate to roost a turkey. What do you say, Casey, in Illinois? How often do you hear them gobble on the roost? Every night, as long as the wind's not blowing thirty mile an hour. Yeah. You hear them every night. Yeah, and I mean wow. many times you can see them early, like the, probably the first three weeks of the season, you can see them sitting on the limb. Really? Just because it's there's enough topography. You know, they're either roosted in a bottom if it's windy out, and you'll see a black dot with a white light bulb sitting right there <laughs> in the tree, and they'll gobble till 9 o'clock. I told him that tonight when we were walking in to try to roost one. I said, our turkeys will gobble as long as you sit there and hoot at them. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Now, roosted ain't roasted. You know that All right. as well as I do. But at least it gives you a good start. But it gives you excited. Yeah. No, gives you, I mean, those, those birds just have an opportunity to fly in, like, five different five different ways yeah. and you just got to pick the right spot and as soon as he flies down if he don't come to you you, you got to move you can't just sit there and wait on him yeah they're gonna go they've got spots they like to go and it's never it's never consistent now you're talking about jared you're talking about a place that is covered up in turkeys oh, absolutely covered up in turkeys loaded with turkeys. and you go out there to roost them and it's like Meh. Yeah, yeah. Just don't gobble. Consistent. You will go try to roost birds in your best spot, your A plus number one spot. Not hear a peep. Yeah, you're not going to hear anything. You're not. And go there the following morning and hear twelve to fifteen longbeards on the on on the limb at daybreak, screaming at you. Yeah. The best way to roost birds in the southeast that I had ever seen was you basically go hunt, sit where you think they're going to be, and then you just hear wing beats. Yeah, that's what. And you can tell between the difference in the hens and longbeards just by the sound. Yeah. And that's all you get to hear. Yeah, and it gives exactly you an idea. Right. That's the best way I've ever seen to do I'll it. I'll tell you what, though. Between I'd, nighttime and morning, I'd rather hear them in the morning. If I had to pick one, I mean, roosting is great, but hearing them in the morning, you can tell if he's hot, you know, if he's gobbling to a call, if he's, you know, mm-hmm. what's his mood. I don't Usually, know. though, I, if they gobble in the afternoon, they're going to be fired up in the morning. Oh, yeah. that is a fact. If you can make one gobble right before dark. It's so rare, though. Yeah, it, it is just, rare. It's so I got rare. one better for you, though, Casey. You said that's the best way to roost them in the south. Story Jared's telling is actually the best way to roost them well, in the yeah, south. Yeah, if you see them, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, keep going. <laughs> so it's Friday. So we get to the management area, and as we're, as we're driving down the road to, to get to the spot I had in mind, um, kind of dawns on me, I'm like, well, crap, we're driving past this particular area that me and Kelly were in the week before where we saw those four birds. And I told Parker, I said, well, we're driving right past it. We got plenty of time. Let's just see if there's anybody in here 
parked at, you know, either parked at the gate or see if there's any fresh tire tracks going in this gate over here where we saw these birds at the other day. And, you know, just to kind of know that for tomorrow. Well, the road that you take to peel off to go down to that gate, there's a power line that crosses it. The power line's in the management area. It's like right at the beginning of it, right? It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like right just there. inside of it. And so we're kind of coming. We, we make that turn. We peel off. We're headed down here to this particular gate. Really, to not try to roost. I'm just, I'm gauging pressure. I just want to know if somebody's in there. And we're as we're rolling up to come underneath this power line, I mentioned to Parker, like, hey, just so you know, the other day I saw three hens standing underneath this, underneath this power line right here. So as we're pulling up to it, I kind of roll the window down and look to my left and see what I believe to be a strutter as my as we first drive past it. And Parker said the same thing. He's like, I think that was a turkey. And I said, I think so, too. So we pop a Yui, spin back around, look at him again, coming the other way. And, yep, that's a strutter. Pop a Yui again, headed back to the gate, and we eat, we pull off into the ditch on the opposite side of the road, roll the window down, and start watching. And we are approximately 150 yards from the birds. There's ends up being three hens and one longbeard, and the longbeard is not paying us any mind. We sit there and watch them for two or three minutes. And the hens pitch up to roost to the west of the power line. I mean, it was, it felt early too. It was a little bit early. It felt early. For I mean, it, it was, it was within reason, but a hair early. And we watched the three hens one at a time. First one picks up, flies off into the pines. It wasn't like spooked running. It wasn't like they were spooked at us. They were like, it's time to go get running. Just getting a head start. Getting that yeah. little head start mm-hmm. in that power line and. First one picks up and flies in to the left. She flies in 30, 40 yards into the pine rows, picks a lamb, sits down. Second one does the same thing. Third one does the same thing. The longbeard's still standing there strutting. He was putting them to bed. All right, about, girl. All right girls. About Time to 45 go to bed. seconds go by. Love you. And the longbeard comes out of strut, kind of takes a look around, not spooked in the slightest. Nah, not even a little bit. And takes flight. And instead of going to roost next to the hens, he flies to the opposite side. And I watch him through the binoculars fly 50 yards into the woods and sit on a pine limb. And I'm watching him in the binoculars. And Parker and I kind of look at each other almost in disbelief. Well, you know. We we haven't even gotten out of the truck. We have not been literally on the management area 90 seconds. Yeah. We haven't even gotten out of the truck yet. We got a long beard on a limb. And you know, there's there's nothing it, the the way that it works out. There was not I, I've never been handed an opportunity like this by the Lord. <laughs> to, it's on a silver platter. Yeah, I mean, literally, there these these pines are thick, nasty on on the understory. Um, one side of the of the power line was third row cut, and the other side had not been third row cut. And it, but Matt, it was which which ended up playing a role in how we set up on this bird the following morning. Yeah, and the, and the 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 pines even on his side were still not like not ideal. Ideal for him. And so really being able to just I mean we were able to use that power line the next morning. And I'm fast forwarding a, a little bit to it because there really wasn't much to the story. Um, fast forwarding to it. I mean, we were able to use that power line to get in quiet mm-hmm. and to get in undetected and to go right where the he, writing was he on pitched the wall. up and split 
his hens and him, and he was going to go down. But even at that, we were low. Uh, I I'd just been so confident because of the videos and stuff like that that Jared sent. Like oh, we still probably should go to the other area. I don't know why. Like never in my life I've ever watched a turkey fly up into so, to roost and not go on it. Yeah, so I don't even know. hunt here, and I wouldn't let you go somewhere else. So, yeah. So we <laughs> up, so we put put that bird on the limb, and I drop a pin on him, and we ride down to the gate. There's a truck sitting at that particular gate that I wanted to look at. We pop a U-turn, and we end up going to the spot, my my little honey hole that I love to hunt over there. Uh, we've had great success. Austin yeah. and I have had great success on this spot. My dad has killed birds off this spot. I've killed multiple turkeys off this spot in, in over the course of a long time. And we end up going over there anyways, just because that was the original game plan. And also, too, it's like it never hurts to have a backup plan. Sure. Like, there's so many things that can go wrong. Roosted does not mean roasted. Like, we need to still, we still have daylight left. Let's go try and put another one up. And we end up doing that. We go to go to our second spot, and I put a second bird on the limb. Parker went down a different road to check a different spot, and I go down the left-hand road to check the primary spot, and there's a long beer standing in the road when I come around the first corner, 300 yards from the parking lot. Um, How far was y'all, y'all when you and Kyle killed? Like 150 yards from the parking area? Uh, it was 91 yards. 91 from the truck. yards. We from stepped the truck. it off, yeah. That's amazing. He shot the bird. I stood up, and the truck was right there, and I'm like, the turkey probably was looking at the truck yeah because it was time to kill him and like you know he did the head bob was getting ready to pack his wings i said kill him if you're going to kill him but yeah i stood up and it was it was shining right there in the sun that's amazing i mean it's crazy it's like so this, this how these not... how these birds get so i mean this is nearly unheard of stuff i have heard of it happening a little bit on public in alabama but i mean you're talking about a totally different Situation. Totally different situation. I mean, so tons of pressure. Parker and I discussed it at length that night. I mean, we kind of laid out, you know, this is our strategy. And, and I think a key part of that success that morning, and also it goes back to being confident in the setup. Like, after we got done, and it's pitch black dark, on the way home we had to drive right past that road where we roosted the bird off the power line. And I said, hey, let's pull in here and just look at this one more time. We didn't mess with the bird that was on the limb. But we kind of surveyed the situation and, and picked out a spot to park the truck because the pines were thinned and I was concerned about the bird seeing the truck from the limb. Um, we planned our access, how are we gonna get to him? Which ended up being as straightforward as it could be. We literally walked down the ditch, turned right on the power line, walked in there 100 yards and sat down. But we took our time, we thought it through, we laid out a plan and then we even laid out contingencies. Like, let's say for whatever reason, he doesn't land under the power line where we anticipate him to. Let's say he pitches off and lands in the pines and goes the other way. Well, because they're third row cut, there's loading decks all in there. Well, the loading ramps come out to the county road, and I said, hey, if he pitches off and goes the other way, we can still make a play on him because we can skedaddle 100 yards back to the ditch. Which is typical. Pull butt down the road and get in front of him before he crosses the next loading deck and potentially kill him that way. And that's a typical, that's a typical turkey hunt. I mean, that, it never. Yeah, it's just goes. like you're trying to you're trying to think of all the intangibles. What oh, yeah. can go wrong? Because there's saying, so much that can. I'm saying what never happens is they fly down where you think they're going to. Yeah. Almost never. I, I've never killed a bird off the roost, like right off the roost. And. He had so, a pretty nice landing spot, though. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> I mean, it was like it, an airport. You know what's crazy? I I was listening to, uh, 
I don't get the opportunity to listen to a ton of hunting podcasts anymore. Um, but on the way here uh, that day through the rainstorm, I was listening to uh, I was listening to Fistful of Dirt, and they were talking about which is the Mossy Oak um, podcast with Cuz. And uh, one of the things they were talking about was getting in between uh, a tom and the hens, especially when they're roosting if you can if you at all can do that and i think it was that episode they were talking about even busting uh busting hens off of the roost and basically taking their place because he knows Mm -hmm. that they're there and literally it was like it just happened to where we could easily get in we walked maybe 400 to 300 yards in all the way it set up was perfect um and and it gave us the opportunity to see that that plan in action of getting in between on the roost, getting in between that. And usually you don't get the opportunity to do that because you're coming in from a road, or in my case, you're coming in from water a lot of the time, and and you you don't have exactly a ton no. of opportunity. And it it's very difficult. A lot of times you're coming at them, and if you're if you're coming at them, and the hens are between you and the tom on the roost. You're almost nervous to bump them because they're just going to bump closer. And a lot of times, even if you come out from the side, they'll do that. They'll do that same thing. But the way this worked out. We were able it, to sneak in there. We got in there real early. We got in there real early. And the reason we got in there real early is because so we only had to walk 250, 300 yards. Yeah. And then also, we took our time. We just tiptoed. And we were walking on a, on a sand road, so super quiet. We tiptoed in there. We knew right where the bird was strutting the evening before. We knew right where his hens had flown up from. And a lot of times you don't get that. And a lot of times you don't get yeah, that. Yeah, you don't get that opportunity uh, to actually see them fly up. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're usually coming into a turkey that starts gobbling at daylight, and you're trying to you're trying to cover ground, make the play on him. Yeah. And a power line's perfect for this scenario, because uh, like we're like a, a green. You have green fields or big, huge food plots, probably in your case, or, or corn ag, field, ag fields, yeah, corn and soybean fields or whatever. Um, they usually will fly up like on the same side of that field. They're not gonna like split the field a whole lot Mm -hmm. to where you can get in between them but even if they do those hens are going to pitch down so far and they're going to all kind of congregate in the middle of that field a lot of the time which is going to be out of range a power line is so perfect because you're talking about 50 yards from side to side only opening yeah in that setting it's Uh all timber and another thing that was cool is one side of it was a road the rest of it the other side was a WMA. So we overshot even a little bit where we thought they might be because we figured they'll cross a road, but it's going to be more likely that they come. Like if, if he, if when, he, when, when Parker says road, we're we're saying asphalt. Yeah, paved, paved road. Paved county road. Paved road. So we we cheated a little bit because I, I'm like, well, there's no reason to set up between the turkeys and the county road because the likelihood of them going that way is so slim. If this goes awry and they happen to land out of range in the power line, they're gonna work away from the county road right into our lap. So we need to cheat to the woods side of the setup versus side to closest to mm-hmm. the truck. Um, and I, I'm gonna add something, and I mentioned this to Parker after we shot him. Self-discipline played a major role in our success that morning to kill that bird. Um, Explain that, that because I don't feel like it did. Oh, self-discipline, definitely. There's a lot of people that would have screwed that up, and it was literally on a silver platter. That bird was roosted 
45 yards off the power line. And the hens were behind us 40 yards approximately. Um, we took our time in, in, in the darkness, no, no lights. We snuck up the edge on the, on the shaded side of the power line because we had a full moon. So we stayed on the shaded side, which is the side closest to the hens. We snuck up that edge and we talked it out in the dark. We, we picked out a pine tree, we were both sitting on the same pine tree because options were limited, but we picked out a spot that we felt like gave us enough cover and shootability. Um, and then we let the morning unfold. And it's extremely tempting when you're sitting there for 45 minutes and you can hear birds gobbling all around you, except for the one that you have roosted has not said a word, not a peep on the limb. And you, and you know, like we were sitting there on the edge of the power line looking for the bird in the, t in the pines. Like we felt like we should be able to see him. Um, it's tempting to throw a hoot owl at him, to make him gobble, to, to kind of give you that confidence boost that he's there. It's tempting to try and tree up to him. But knowing the situation that we're sitting right on the edge of the, of the power line, if we had called one time, he, uh, yeah, I, I see. I see where you're going. There's I mean, one, I see another the thing you didn't, you didn't mention is no decoys. No decoys. No decoys. Because yeah. in that setting, you know, I use decoys quite a bit, it, especially in the Midwest with field turkeys. But no decoys. And I then, probably and then never the, would have used one there. The key piece to this, in my opinion, is we sat there and listened to a bird across the county road gobble 50 times in 20 minutes, and none of and a rooster and a rooster crowing. Too. We were like, we originally when we heard that rooster, we were like, point, oh, this is going to be great. To the <laughs> point to where we, like, that doubt started to creep in your mind. Like, did he limb hop? Did something bump him in the night? Did we bump him coming in here? Like, that doubt started to creep in, like, because enough time had gone by. It was plenty shooting light, and he hadn't said a peep. And finally, one of those hens that was right behind us, she tree yelped. And I said it, and as soon as I heard the first note, I hit record on the camera. And before she finished her sequence... I whispered to Parker, I really, really, really want to answer her, but I know I can't because if I make one so much as a cluck, if that bird is sitting in that limb that we left him in, he is going to be locked in on us, and we are frankly exposed right on the edge. And I'm like, we cannot make a sound. We just have to let this unfold. And, um, and fortunately, 45 seconds later, the bird took flight, pitched, landed at 25 yards, yeah, I mean, I mean we. Get lap. I, I shot him about three seconds after he hit the ground. Yeah, his so his pinky was... toe hit the ground and Parker squeezed the shot off. We did not make one call to the turkey, and the turkey did not gobble one time. No, he never gobbled. No, no calls. It was. Didn't need pretty to. much in and out, man. I don't. I don't know that I've ever had a turkey hunt that was quite and, that. And quite I mean, that it good. was pretty much a a slam dunk as it, as it can possibly be, but there was a lot of thought process that went into that the night before. Like, we, we planned it out. We had a contingency. We had backup plans. We, you know, we, we discussed where we're going to park our truck, how we're going to access this. I mean, there was a decent amount of strategy that went into sure. what, on the surface, is really simple. Um, but at the end of the day, it's public land, and we literally set up on a road that's drivable. So at any given time, while we're sitting there in the bushes before daylight, somebody with the same quota as us could have perfectly legal and within their mm -hmm. rights have driven right down the road or set up on it and messed yeah. the whole thing up. And luckily that didn't happen. Yeah. But they didn't have a whole lot of time to do that either. Um, I thought it was cool, man. I, I really appreciate the letting the, inviting me to come out. And Absolutely. Dude, you guys, 
Y'all been a. It was short and sweet, but man, that was so much fun. Y'all been a heck like of a. Like it never gets old. Y'all been a heck of a of a hunting camp, and we pretty much just got started. Even though I got to end today, but um, let's go around the room real quick, just so we can. We'll start with you, Casey, and introduce yourself. Tell us about what you do. And uh, name is Casey Shootman. Uh, I am the editor and producer of the Management Advantage. Uh, we've got a web show. Uh, through YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, um, and we basically do wildlife management stuff year-round. A lot of Alabama guys probably already know who you are because you were with Chuck. Yep. yep. Chuck Sykes. Yep. Chuck started the show back in 2001, I think, 2001, 2002. I started working for him in late late 2004. Believe it or not, it's been a yeah, long. old man. <laughs> and that's, I feel old. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he, started, he, he became the director, and uh, I kind of took over the – Took over the whole deal. We went from the Outdoor Channel. We were on the Outdoor Channel for 10 or 11 years. And uh, seen the shift coming, and it was, frank, frankly, just too expensive to run it because they were, I mean, it was they were pushing out the little man. So we <clears throat> redesigned the website, went all digital uh, in 2011, and have steadily grown since. Yeah, y'all are doing really good. Yeah, I mean, it's, really good it, it's, it's been... It's been a, it's been a blessing and and love what I do every day. But you and, get to do something that's pretty cool with the trapping. Yeah, like that would be my I guess claim to fame would be the trapping. You're a master trapper. I mean I I get opportunities. Uh, you can brag. I get opportunities to trap. <laughs> um, but I love this joker. You telling me about people paying you? I'm like man, I wish somebody paid me to deer hunt or pay me to turkey hunt their property. Yeah. You got I mean y'all are racking up what fifty coyotes and. Stuff just, like that. It just depends on. I mean, I'll kill four to five hundred a year. That's insane. You know, throughout the year, but uh, it, every property is different. Uh, it just depends on where you're at and what time of year you're doing it. But um, do I get a finder's fee if uh, somebody reaches out to you after this podcast to come try? I, I honestly don't have time to do anymore. My schedule's <laughs> oh, been full. Trying to get I a have, commission. I know. <laughs> I have Dang to turn it. down stuff every year, but um, yeah, that's that would be my cl- my claim to fame as far as the trapping goes and. I really got into it because I was following around a guy that is an absolute machine when it comes to, to trapping coyotes and the knowledge that he knows about that specific animal. Um, and then, you know, doing what we do in the management side and teaching people, that's our number one goal is education with what we do. I was just going to say, like, and like pure education. And, like, whenever I was learning how to trap, I was going on YouTube after following Robert Waddell around and – there, there just wasn't good information or there wasn't information that was a guy like me or, or kids that I want to get involved in it. They couldn't, you couldn't sit there and watch it mm-hmm. and you'd, you'd lose. You'd just, you'd, you'd, you'd skip around, you'd go to something else. You couldn't, it wouldn't keep my attention. So <clears throat> trying to, to design a, a trapping program that's a little bit cinematic, a little bit flashy, but also education and teaching guys how to, how to catch predators is my number one goal and so i would go through youtube and i would like search like specific topics on things that i wanted to learn and if it wasn't there then i would make a video on it and it's been it's it's been going really well i got a cool fact that i learned this week from you um and i don't know if this is typical i don't know if a lot of people do this but i think somebody could really impress their friends if they if they tell them this little fact about coyote bait and what you, uh, what people typically use in a coyote bait, mm-hmm. tell us what it is. 
Um, so I make my own bait. Um, I call it anvil. Uh, kind of the play off of Wiley Coyote and the anvil falling out of the sky. And you know, I never it. put that together. That's why I call it. That's brilliant. That's that why is I call good. It anvil. Gorgeous. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever really told anybody that. That's just. It's a great cartoon. Kind of just came. That is creative. But um, look at you. Yeah. Um, but no, like <clears throat> a long time ago, I had a guy that I bird hunted with, and he trained bird dogs, and his like how he described to me how a, a dog or a canine smells uh, and smell it in layers was, and I hate to kind of take over the podcast with this, but anyway, say you go to a, a restaurant and you order a cheeseburger, like they set the cheeseburger down in front of you and everybody sitting at this table smells a cheeseburger. You slay it in front of a dog and he smells everything about it. He smells beef, pickles, tomatoes, lettuce, mustard, ketchup, bread, and he sits <clears throat> he's sitting there and he's processing all of that smell at the same time and while he's doing that his feet are shuffling so like whenever I make a bait it's extremely complex it's a base um, whether it be bobcat meat or beaver meat or muskrat my number one bait anvil is bobcat base but then there's a bunch of other glands that go into it that's attractive to that animal <clears throat> so he's sticking his nose down a dirt hole and the whole time he's shuffling his feet you know you you try to set the trap to where as soon as his nose goes in the hole, bam, he's caught. But having that bait there to keep him there longer and work that set um, is how you catch high numbers of coyotes. Now, there's certain situations where you got to use other things, and there's we could we could make a whole pod or ten podcasts about that. But um, you think anybody listen to a full podcast about trapping bait? Absolutely. Ingredients. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know the demographics. So. Yeah, I mean the 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 trapping videos get the most views and the most comments of anything that we do. Um, the, you get negative comments on YouTube about trapping animals? Not really. Really. The way I present it, like I I don't want to show anything negative. Um, you know, we we try to put as positive of a light into it as we can, and and be respectful and ethical. Um, you know, because everybody, there's people out there trying to take the right away every day. So if we don't do it right, you know, we might we might lose the right to do it. And, so. and Casey shared an interesting fact with me, and I'm a Florida resident and had no idea. We cannot use leg hold traps in the state of Florida. Really? Mm -hmm. Which is the primary number one tactic for catching coyotes. We can't we can't use the best effective way to catch coyotes cannot be legally used in the state of Florida. What's uh What do you recommend? to Florida residents or places where that might not be legal? <sighs> Thermals and um, There's a, well, um, Kyle was talking about a snare system that they use that it's basically a PVC pipe that they bury under the ground and it's got a snare around that PVC <clears throat> and they put a piece of like screen wire that I would use as a pan cover on a leg hold trap over the top of it, sift dirt off over the top and when he steps on that screen wire it's got a trigger on it and it basically throws a snare around his foot and holds him there, That's just like a handcuff. So, like, it's kind of the same concept. And a lot of the law, the laws that are that are out there, in, you know, different states are different. But a lot of the laws that are there were made, you know, maybe 30 years ago and just haven't been revi revisited. Because yeah. every trap that's out there now, I mean, I'll take my hand and, and stick it in it. I've got nine dozen in the truck right now. I'll show you. I'll just I'll set it and pop my hand in it. Doesn't it hurt? I mean, it has a sting to it, mm -hmm. but it doesn't break bones. 
they're, they've got three swivels on them. They're designed to twist. You don't want the animal to bind up. The last thing as a trapper that we want is for that animal to be in distress and hurt and break his leg. All I want it to do is hold him there. We're going to end up dispatching the animal. So you can break his life. We're going to dispatch the animal, <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm not a heathen. I don't want him to be in discomfort. I don't want him to break his leg. Yeah. It's essentially a handcuff. It's That's all it is. Yeah. And they deserve them for the crap that they do. They deserve the I handcuff. Mean, it, I mean, you got to give them respect. They're, they're an animal yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. extremely cunning. Uh, you're talking about an animal that has the whole world to roam. And you're making him put his foot in a two-inch circle. And when you can do that, it's it's hard to explain. I want you to ride with me someday because it's the most addictive. Dude, I want to go do that. It's, it, I, I, I mean, like, I like every kind of hunting, and yeah. I've never trapped. Me neither. It's I never mean, been I, something that I've done. I found Casey's in the Management Advantage mostly through the habitat videos that they do. Um, but when I stumbled across the trapping stuff, I was like, holy crap like i have never seen anything i've hunted my whole life it's extremely rewarding and it's probably other than fire as a management tool it's one of the best management tools out there yeah um i mean it's extremely effective from what i can see i mean you guys are doing absolutely i've got data on uh ranches and farms that i've been traveling for 10 years and it's unbelievable the amount of pull and fawn recruitment that that you can acquire through trapping at the right time uh, yep. Timing is timing extremely matter, important. You said the place in Alabama, um, when you first started trapping there, whatever place, you don't have to name it, but tell what it was before you started trapping or when you started trapping as far as turkeys and then the last time, last week when you were trapping it's, there. It's about uh, it's 1,800 or 2,000 acres. And when I first started trapping it, it had maybe three or four long beards on it, goblin that the landowner knew about. Um, now, I just left there last week, and I didn't go out and listen, but I, w- I saw between 15 and 20 longbeards and 20 to 30 jakes on the hmm. place this year. If I would have went out and listened, there's no telling. It's, it's one of the highest concentrations of eastern wild turkeys that I've ever seen, and it's on a place that I trap twice a year. If that's not proof for me, I don't know what is. That's incredible. Now we're doing some habitat work on there. It, it all it, It's not one thing that fixes mm-hmm. everything. We're doing habitat work. We're, we're doing the trapping. We're stewards of the land. We're doing everything we can to help the wild turkey because everything in the world is against the wild turkey. As soon as he is laid out of the hen and laying on the ground in an egg, everything wants to eat him from that time until, until he dies. Mm-hmm. And and their life is so short too, which it is, is pretty amazing. The turnovers like, just and they are delicious. They are good. They are. <laughs> oh, yeah. They are. And they do taste very nice. They are. And and you know, we'll, trappers and or land managers in general will get flack from the the anti hunting community mm-hmm. about well, you're trapping, but then you're going to kill them. And my answer to that is, we were put on this earth to manage the land and be stewards. Mm-hmm. And if if I own the land. I'm going to do exactly what I want to do with it. And, and they have uh, a place, right? You're never going to kill them all, yeah, every you, single one of them. If you're somebody just... tells you they can, they're lying. I can yeah. tell you that. And we're not out there to kill them all. Like I said, we're going to take out, you know, 
coyotes, raccoons, and possums are number one turkey predators, um, but we do it at, at a certain time, right at the nesting season, right before we create that void, say that 2,000 acres, we try to create a predator-free zone for maybe three weeks, maybe a month, maybe two months. That's all it is. After that, they move back in, and then the you know the turkeys can fly up in a tree or the fawns can get up and run off and then we come back in and we do it again we do it again just at the right time mm-hmm. we're not there to kill them all we're just there to kill them at the right time and you're not doing it year-round no no you're there yeah. for it's, it's a it's a seal team safe strike I mean, yeah you're going in very it's, very specific yep. time frames 10 10 days 10 to 14 days we'll run and uh I don't know if the exact percentage of, of what we're taking out, but it's a pretty good percentage of what's there at that time. And uh, it works. It absolutely works. That's cool, man. That's so cool. Y'all check out Management Advantage on YouTube and social media, right? Absolutely. Instagram, Facebook page. Y'all got one of those? Yep. The, the Management old, Advantage. One of them on Facebook pages. We got one of them. Y'all got the y'all, pro, y'all, got y'all Facebook the, website? Kind of like the Ohio, don't they say the Ohio State? No. I don't know. It's the, the, the management advantage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, like, associating it with. Oh, I got a buddy that's an Ohio it. State fan, but he'll get a kick out of that. All right. Old Jared. Old Jared done, uh, done told the whole hunting story doodle. Yeah. without an introduction. Uh, my name's Jared Hurst. Uh let me oh, okay before we go. I was actually I had this random thought. You know how like, uh, like you can like trace people's ancestors back and like, like shoemaker. Somebody's last name shoemaker, is uh, like at some point along the line they they made, sh- they made, made shoes. shoes. Uh, at some point, like Smith um, is typically blacksmith. Wonder what my family did then. Shoop. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> they were just men, men yeah. of the shoop. Yeah, they're Vikings or something. Where was your family like? A, like, did they run a a morgue or a funeral service? The last name Hurst. I've well, no, that is actually Hurst with no T. <laughs> they made shift. But they made, no, 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 listen. They made shifters. Yeah, shifters, racing shifters. I had a truck one time with one. So of them. listen, yeah. awesome. like you've seen some of the the last names that'll be like just off a little bit, like from the uh, from the original. Yeah. Uh, like shoemake so or something I, like that. I actually don't have an answer for you on that. Uh, you don't know pretty, your ancestry? Pretty Well, I do. So, He's part Indian. So my mom's maiden <laughs> name is O'Hara. I'm full-blooded Choctaw. Yeah. Um, and, and her grandmother's name is Gillespie, and those are both very Irish-Scottish names. Um, my grandmother on my dad's side, her maiden name is Stevenson. That's very Scottish. Um, so pretty much like a Welsh-Scottish-Irish background. Um, I don't think I've ever met anybody with the last name Hurst. Um, I can't think of anybody. And Hurst, is being, being my grandfather's last name, um, is an English name. Um, okay. So we suspect that most of my ancestors in our family were like um, Scots-Irish immigrants, like Appalachian settlers and stuff like that. And, and where most of what we know about you know, going two, three, four generations back suggests that to be the case. Okay. As far as like what they did, we don't really know. Um, interesting fact, tidbit, this is really random and has nothing to do with this podcast. Uh, my mom's aunt, my great aunt, her name was Kathy, she has passed, was a history nut. And she had the most detailed family tree out of everybody on my mom's side. And believe it or not, my fourth great uncle was the presidential aide to Abraham Lincoln. 
I don't know how she figured that out. How about that? I don't know how they were able to document it, but my mom has paperwork and all kinds of stuff sure. that my Aunt Kathy did. Like, she made it, like, that was, like, her hobby, if you will. Yeah. Uh, just figuring that stuff out. And they were able to track all that stuff back, and that was, like, one really cool random. And I'm American history nut. Like, I'm a nerd when it comes to that kind of stuff. So that's that's a really underappreciated thing. I wish I had someone who I could contact about that. Because yeah. I've... Everybody wonders that at some point, like, yeah. you know, but to have someone who, cause you got to put in the time and the work oh, to do that because you got to chase a lot of different bloodlines and it's, you know, the sprawl of a family yeah. tree gets pretty deep. My yeah. grandpa did you the know. same thing. I've got an interesting tidbit too. Yeah. So anyways, hey, what's, what's your tidbit? What's your tidbit? So you, you can't show us, <laughs> so reveal your tidbit. You know, the, the Mormons, uh-huh. they, they're in Utah now. Yeah. They, their settlement used to be in Nauvoo, Illinois and my like fifth great uncle uh, apparently was one of the people that helped move them to Utah. One of the Mormons stole his horse and they found him and dragged him back to the Carthage Square and hung him in this in the square. <laughs> wow, that's dark. Yeah. Isn't that a dark. daisy? But my grandpa found that out doing his that's history. Cool. history well, well, guess guess what so, my claim to fame is. Don't steal a horse. Bo Cephas. Bo Cephas. Oh. That's yeah. a pretty bold, yeah. well, there's, a bold there is, strategy, Cotton. Let's see how that plays out. There is relation. Uh, my mom could probably tell you better what the, where all the names come from, but uh, we're we're not even super distant uh, relation to the Williams, to Hank Williams, the Hank Williams Jr. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, or or, right. or that was just a lie that my parents told me a long time ago when I was little, just to. Mess with me, and I still believe it. <laughs> That's so, possible too, I guess. I heard you pick a guitar, and it was pretty good. I mean, you know, I don't, like, I, mean, I don't like to brag. <laughs> I've got a musician, uh, Dennis DeYoung, lead singer of the Sticks, Grandpa's, I think, second cousin. Nice. Yeah, and then I thought they like I thought it was just you know they told me this as a kid, and I was like, yeah, great, mm-hmm. for okay. sure. Okay. No, there's a picture of them like in my grandma's house with my mom when she was you know little girl. It was pretty crazy. That's cool. But. uh yeah, I think he's so, kind of weird. So, he, you know, <laughs> the band broke up, and I've never met him, but I think there were some issues there. So, Jared, what, what, what's uh, so I'm a tell no, us, tell I'm us a no about buddy. yourself. I'm just a hunter. I, I just, mean, just I'm like, just a hunter. Just, like, was, just an old redneck from Florida. Yeah, born and raised in, in Jacksonville. Um, I'm 29, self-employed, and... Living the American dream. Pretty much. My house is like Bass Pro threw up in it. I mean, it's, it's, I have the ultimate bachelor. Like, if, if you were to go to any red blooded American male, they would look at my house and go, this guy has it going on. It's a, it's a bachelor <laughs> pad. It's a straight it, bachelor I don't know that I would say this guy has it have, going on, but you got a nice situation it's a, for yeah. it. It's a bro palace. Yeah. yeah it's it's like no is. decorations. And what it's decorations? Dead animals from one end of that house to the other. And what pictures you do have are like kind of crooked where my wife wouldn't even think about it leaving it, it that way. The, 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 the Wi Fi network says it all. Casey, what's my Wi Fi? Casa de Slay. I cannot tell. Casa de Slay. Casa de Slay. This is on the record now, so I cannot take credit for that. People are going to. That that is not original to me. I did not come up with that. I'll just take credit. A dear friend of mine by the name of Chris Rowland, who owns Bow Life Apparel Company, gave me the inspiration for that name one day about 10 years ago. And I said, yep, 
That's it. When, yeah. when I was setting the Wi-Fi up at my house, that, for whatever reason, randomly popped in my head, and I was like, yep, cast it this light. People but Chris, I got that from Chris Rollins. So, Chris, if you ever one day listen to this, my Wi-Fi password is in homage to you. <laughs> People are going to be driving by trying to steal your Wi-Fi now. <laughs> but, no, I'm, I'm just – I'm a contractor. I'm a roofing contractor here in Jacksonville. Um, extremely passionate outdoorsman. I, tr- uh, I pride myself on being a total outdoorsman. Um, love the deer hunt. That's my number one, number one passion is hunting big bucks, um, primarily with a bow. Um, definitely not too prideful to take a rifle. Um, second passion would be turkey hunting. There's just something about playing the game with a turkey. Like it's that special. just strikes a chord in my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've hunted ducks from the Everglades to the salt marsh in northeast Florida out to the Mississippi River Delta. Um, I've got pintails, widgeon, gadwalls, mallards, wood ducks, model ducks, tree ducks, all in the house. Um, gators, pigs. I pretty much have done just about everything there is to do in the southeastern U.S. Uh, except for a black bear. That's the one thing that eludes me. But um, you can't kill them here anyway. Which yeah, they're protected sucks. in Florida, unfortunately. That's a whole other topic we can do a two-hour <laughs> yeah. podcast on. Um, it's called, no, a, I, that's called a rant podcast. Yeah, that's, that's a rant. Because um, there ain't nothing good I have to say about that. I just, I love the hunt. And I don't, uh, I do not have the technical prowess to do YouTube. Um, tried my hand at podcasting with, with a dear friend of mine, Jack. Jack is very computer literate. Me, on the other hand, I'm doing all I can do to get through an Excel spreadsheet on my laptop <laughs> to do an estimate from, from my job. Um but I, I, I have considerable amount of experience for somebody my age and have had the opportunity, been very blessed and fortunate to have a life, you know, to live a life that allows me the opportunity to go and do what my number one passion is, which is hunt. I get to hunt way more than the average guy, and I don't take that for granted. Um, I get to fish in the summertime. We love the offshore fish, cobia, wahoo, kingfish, dolphin, tuna, all that stuff, grouper, snapper. Um, but frankly, we just fish to pass the time in deer season. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something to do. Fishing's good in Jacksonville. I mean, it's, it can be world class. But um, if somebody held a gun to my head and said, pick one, I'm going hunting. Like, there's just no getting around it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and fortunate to have a lot of friends that, that love to hunt and you know, live the same lifestyle that I do. That's awesome. All right, moving on. All right, so I'm Austin. Uh, work at a law enforcement agency in the state of Florida. We'll just kind of leave that there, leave the last name out of it. <laughs> uh, been hunting for about four years, so I'm, you know, kind of the uh, the dark horse here at this table today. I was surprised when you told me, which Jared Jared told me you hadn't hunted turkeys for a real long time, mm-hmm. for three or four years or yeah. whatever. And, but then I think, I mean, most people are deer hunters a lot of people who are new turkey hunters yeah. started somewhere yeah, we kind of talked about it. i mean i always thought turkey hunting was cool that's always what i wanted to do um, it's, a, it's a club it's like it feels like a cult it, that you want to be a part of and i was telling you earlier we were riding around i was like you know i'll go deer hunting like if jared calls me i'll go you know i've got a rifle but i don't take time to you know put cameras out i don't scout or you know try and find bedding areas anything like that i just if i get a call i'll go if i don't get a call you know i'm not really worried about it um but as far as turkey hunting you know it's something i i love to do i think it's 
there's something about it, man. It's just, it's very, we're kind of like we were saying, it's a very unique thing. Uh, it's kind of specialized and I've always thought it was cool. Um, didn't grow up hunting, grew up, parents didn't hunt, nobody in the family did. So, uh, you know, kind of learning through failures as an adult, really. So there's one piece of information I also left out. We went to high school together. We did. I have learned, well, I was going to get to you in a minute, but. Okay. Yeah, um, hold on, Jared. Yeah, so <laughs> I think I think he's trying to collect his credit, which he is due. <laughs> um, yeah, I've gosh, the amount of questions I've probably asked him over the last five years—it's just some of them completely stupid. Like you're probably rolling your eyes reading text messages. Some of them good questions, but um, you know, you know, speaking from a guy who you really started from zero at you know as a young man in my early twenties. You know, Jared's done a lot. He's put me in a lot of cool, cool positions to to learn, uh, to have success, and uh, always answers questions. So, um, as far as an ambassador for you know the state of Florida and hunting and fishing, I've done both with him. Um, good dude, good dude, and he'll he'll definitely put you on the right track. So, I thought you might kiss him after that. <laughs> uh, it's true, man. Yeah, I will say this though about hold on, to. let's that's Jared's gonna run for If you're gonna go, if you're gonna go hunting with Jared, Nobody would vote for me. if you're gonna go hunting with Jared, you know you just need to sort of just kind of bite down, because um, it it you have some tendencies for be, sure. I can be hard you can be diff- to hunt. There's a reason none of the girls he's dated like hunting with him. That's a lie. Duh. I put Kelly on an eight point this year. Okay. Although how often? Did, how did, often do they? Did, you know, we, we did give you a little have, lip we did service. Have a moment. You know, <laughs> they just don't. Did, yeah. I did. I mean, she killed a really nice eight point. Y'all have seen pictures of it? Well, I mean, listen. <laughs> well, 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 you okay. take what you we take. We change you, the subject. You know, it's it's he's fun. You should have ended I, it. I, I you should have just you ended it with your best. I freely admit I can be extremely difficult to hunt with, and it's not. And it's not like I'm an asshole. No, he's it's, not an asshole. He's see, I, I haven't seen that. I appreciate. I have appreciated hunting with you because uh, we're, we're like both like extremely intense. Well, I think it it's, could. It is, and that's what it comes off as. It's like You're I focused. just want to be successful. Yes. Yeah. Like it's one goal. Get to the turkey. Get to the turkey, or sneak in and get in this tree with this deer that we have on camera, or whatever the situation may be. It's it is 100. percent It is full speed. Um, well, I think what it is, too. It's I also mean, just like a high level of, I don't want to say a high level of expectation. It's just, you know, don't diff- make mistakes. It's a different level of experience. That's called yeah. a high level of expectation. So, <laughs> it's like I'm, but, I've learned through, through mistakes. Mm-hmm. My dad has taught me everything I know about deer hunting and being in the woods and pretty much every iota of woodsmanship that is within me was taught. The roots of that was taught within my dad, and I've fine-tuned it as I've gotten older. And... When you hunt for so many years, you guys know, you make mistakes and you learn from it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that goes on on a morning turkey hunt that is not even said. It is just known. Like, that's not getting explained between two parties. And Austin, being a rookie here, or a greenhorn, it's, you know, you have to kind of slow things down and say, hey, this is what's happening. This is why we're doing what we're doing. And it, you have to treat it as a teaching moment because you have to take a step back and go, this is a good friend a dear friend of mine isn't on the same page as me he doesn't know he doesn't know what i'm thinking yet whereas casey and i hunt together or me and parker hunt together we're on the same you don't have to say anything yeah we're on the same brain brainwave 
And, like, there is no spoken words. One look, and we know what each other are thinking because we've done it long enough, and we already know what the situation is. Um, and when you have new hunters, not just Austin, but new hunters in general, like, you have to take a step back and use it as a teaching moment. And you're probably going to screw up a lot, and that's okay because you're going to learn from it. I mean, we've had some success, too. We have huh? had a lot of success. <laughs> we've had some good mornings, but <laughs> we've definitely had some, you know, I've, yeah, I've done some bonehead stuff. What was the one lesson we learned last? Oh, we're not. We're just gonna leave. We're gonna do lesson trivia. That was, <laughs> that was actually two years ago. No, last hunting season. Mm-hmm. What was now, it was Austin, two years ago. What did we talk about? <laughs> no, it was no, two years. No, I'm not talking about that. Okay, so I no, have, no, 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 no. He went there because I wasn't even referring to what Austin was. Well, I don't know. What well, we got to hurry it up. I still got a daggone turkey story to tell. Oh, well, we're getting there in just a second. So <laughs> I have one rule. If you roast me with this story right now. Oh, you fixing to get thrown under the bus and then backed up over it. I have and one rule and turkey get another hunting. beer. I have one rule turkey hunting, and the only rule is don't miss. Like, just don't miss. So I take Austin on a on my quota. That'll make a fella hat throwing mad. That's why I say when you miss and, one. And I, I and miss plenty of them. It happens. And this is – Austin hadn't killed a turkey yet. I mean, this is first year. That's an important point to yeah, realize. I have not killed a turkey yet. So, opening day, about two or three years ago, we hear a bird on the roost, and what I call the turkey trot 5K ensues, which is basically like, oh crap, we are on the wrong side of this situation. We have to basically double back, hook or J-hook around, and come in from an entirely different angle to get in position on these birds. And we pull it off. And I mean, we were jogging in full-on snake boots, turkey vests, shotguns, jogging probably a mile and a half total length um and we get up underneath these birds and they're still in the tree and they are hot uh, i'm taking videos i mean we're watching birds pitch out all we have somehow or another finagled ourselves amongst we were as jerry clower would say we was in amongst them and i whispered to austin right as we're fixing to like make our final approach to sit down i said okay so here's the deal only thing i ask don't miss well, also being oh, shouldn't have said that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also being aware of the situation, Austin had killed a bird. He's yeah. first on the trigger. Yeah. A Jake is absolutely in the realm of possibilities. Yeah. Like I'm trying to get him his first turkey. So sure enough, they pitch down. Here come two Jakes to 15 yards, and I'm whispering, Austin, pick one, pick one, pick one. Well, he finally gets the hint, sits up and takes a shot and shoots right over the top of this bird, like not even close. Not even remotely close. And I mean, you whole, don't know that. No, I watched. Like, you your, I watched your the wad like three mm. feet on top of this. Like you weren't even looking down the barrel. You were it so nervous. It wasn't that bad. Oh, it was bad. All the whole flock scatters. We go on a wild goose chase, which is an entirely different story for another day, but it's hilarious. Um, oh, and we end up circling back. It's on actually this, a better story. I it think. is a better story, but we end up circling back, and, and Austin ends up getting his first uh, first turkey. It ends up being a double, like doubles first turkey season kills both birds first morning done like, it's worth saying it was that was not on purpose it just it you know, fortuitous circumstances but it just sort of worked out that way yeah, austin missed and then so that's what you call that earlier the what kind of double scotch double scotch, scotch double, double. yeah that's what it was. Uh, so that was not the original story that I was referring to. The original story last year, the lesson that was learned is not to drink too many beers the night before. Oh, God, this is a great story. I have a picture to prove this. Austin is passed out with a Gatorade bottle laying on the forest floor Trail- with a roosted bird 
120 yards away. <laughs> Trey Lewis, if you're listening, this is your fault. You shouldn't. Nobody should ever drink too many beers a day before. We went to we went to bed at three a.m. It's not a good combination. So we went to a concert. I got. We had VIP passes. Oh yeah, (laughs) we had a sweet. You also shouldn't get VIP passes. That was bad planning. I got trashed. Jack Daniels all night long. (laughs) Go to bed at three. Somehow wake up at five. Oh my god. We're walking in the woods. You know, I'm trying. He is like I'm yakking, struggle busting. Like throwing up, walking to the, you know. We got a bird roosted. Walk, I roosted a bird the before woods. the concert. <laughs> this like, podcast just went, whoa. Yeah. I'm like, oh, uh, somehow I'm going to have to get us into a turkey story. This is a turkey story. And, with a twist. Lesson learned. Don't drink too much Jack and Coke the night before turkey season. Oh, carry on. That was awesome. just horrible. <laughs> yes. Just an awful morning. We it, ended up doubling it. Oh, that it, morning. Yeah, it ended great, but boy, it was it not a good out. start. We started at the bottom and now we're here. Anyways. <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to get into Parker's, <laughs> Parker's I mean, story from today. I mean, we're an hour and eight minutes in. I'm, like, about to pass over dead because I'm so tired. Oh, you're good, dude. You're Just fine. keep going. I'm so tired. Um, yeah, it's been a good good, uh, good week, good solid week. Enjoyed hanging out with you fellas. Hope we get to do it again. If you draw the tag again, just give me a shout. I'll be here. Uh, I gotta teach y'all how to work closer. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely gonna be doing that. But I'm also, you know, I think Florida, and and I definitely, I don't see people. For turkeys, obviously, there's a lot of pressure. For deer, it's, it's a hard, place to learn how to hunt for deer. I've been doing it for a few years. Everybody who listens to this podcast regularly knows this that I love, the the idea of shooting a public land buck in Florida. Um, because I, I do actually think it's the hardest. If it, if it's not the hardest, it's one of the hardest states to kill a deer in. You're talking about any um, deer, not a mature deer, just a buck. A legal buck. Gotcha. In, in Florida, is there antler point restrictions? On, on public, I, have, I have no idea. Yes, yes there is. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, and they, a lot of them are vary by the WMA you're on. But, I mean, and there's some great places to hunt private land in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, managed. There's decent habitat here and, mm-hmm. you know. It's just, a, it's just a diff, different deer. You got to look at everything. Yeah. In relativity, like the public land here, a lot of it gets dog hunted, so the pressure is is crazy. So I I, don't, I definitely don't see pressure rising from non-residents. Um, for deer. For deer. So, yeah, definitely. But but not. turkeys, obviously, there's a lot of people who come to turkey hunt because they want to get that Osceola. Um, but F- Florida, there really is a lot for a sportsman here. Um, like what you said, Jared. I mean, you've got duck hunting. You got great turkey hunting. You've got gators. You got uh, deer, We've seen pigs. Fifty pigs this weekend. Uh, great bass fishing. Some of the uh, best speck fishing. As, I want to go as catch Jared speck. would say. Uh, what, what speck? He those, calls them specks. In Florida, they're called specks. I call in the them. They're called crappie. Crappie. In Alabama, they're called crappie. I have no, never. Alabama, Florida, some people. Some people in Alabama call them crappie. And in Louisiana, crappy. I'll yeah. give you one more. In Louisiana, they're not called either. They're called sacule. Or white perch. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. That's just, my jam, bud. <laughs> but but you got great fishing inshore, offshore, freshwater. You know, you got all kinds of stuff. Um, but today, we came to, we we were out of qu- quotas pretty much. Um, the, the other place we went to was just kind of, it was flooded, so it was it was tough to hunt. We had, just to be clear, we had two quotas. We, actually, a total of three quotas between two people um, and a total of two different management areas. So, uh, we 
spent the first day on one property and then Sunday on a different property on a different quota. Um, it was just washed out. It was we, we got were, pounded we were with rain Saturday night in our underwear, crossing <laughs> oh, water. They down to the skivvies. That was awesome. Um, but but today we we were out, so we decided I had a week still. I think you're staying for another week, pretty much. And, yeah, I'm, I'm free. Um, <laughs> coming out here to this spot that anybody can come to. Non non quota hunt. Yeah, non quota hunt, and uh, man, it just. I, my, my original plan, so anybody who's listened, you've heard me talk about this with water access, which is something we were going to do out here, is access from, from your boat, Jared. And um, I decided this morning, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I know I knew that if I wanted to shoot another turkey uh, today, that I was probably going to have to go by myself, obviously, because... I wasn't going to be the shooter at all. Austin wasn't here for this morning. And so. Austin wasn't here, so I had an opportunity to hunt a little bit. But I wanted to scout and get my bearings. I do this with every trip that I go on um, out of state, and you have got to get in the habit of this. If you're not doing it with deer or turkeys on public land, take a day to scout. Take a day. And you don't have to hunt. Take a Take a gun. Or a bow Arm or whatever. Mission. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're scout hunting. Reconnaissance. Um, there are certain times of the day that, that I would rather scout, you know. During turkey season, I'd rather do it first two hours of the day. Go out and listen for gobbles. And if you find a goblin turkey, try to hunt him. Um, but, you know, after 9 o'clock, I'll go and scout access. Because with, with these water access places, the most frustrating thing in the world is when you haul a boat all the way there so you're paying more for gas you haul a boat all the way to the spot uh, all the way to the area that you're in and then you have to unload it then you have to drive with your butt puckered the whole way because you're in the foggy water in the dark and then you get to the spot that you think is going to be good only to find that there's somebody else that just walked in very easily or you see a truck um, which happened to you all the day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or you just can't access it because it's, it's just mud up to your knees. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that does happen. That that happens sometimes, but I wanted to go from, I wanted to drive around the whole place and scout all around the water at every possible access. Number one, to see if, how many people are out hunting. And number two, to make sure that the, these gates are closed. You know, if you got a mile from a gate to the water, it's not ideal. That's still even in Florida where it's flat. A lot of times that's not going to stop a whole lot of people, but it's at least far enough where you do get a little bit of an advantage. Um, but, dadgummit, if I didn't go in this, I just picked a random spot that seemed to have the most habitat um, in the in the whole place, really. And if I didn't get in there late, you know, we got here a little bit late. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was I didn't have to use a headlamp or anything. You know, I could see everything pretty well. I, have, I walked 100 yards away from the truck, and I had three birds gobbling in the first spot. So I said, okay, I'm going to hunt them until they leave. I'm not going to get aggressive. I'm going to just be, be there. casual about it. You know, I, I, I wasn't – we have all week. I, I didn't want to blow up a potential spot that had – in total, I heard four different gobblers this morning. Um, if there's four birds gobbling in a spot and we got a week to kill them, 
Uh, there's no reason to, on the first day, go in and no screw that up. No reason to push all your chips in the pot on yeah. day number one. So, man, I mean, I, I'm like, okay, well, I'll go towards where the three are at because they're all roosted together. Get in there, and I, I'll make a pretty long story short, but I think somebody could probably learn something from this because what I realized in this scenario is the, the fact that I did not put pressure on myself to kill this turkey right then or, like, to, like, be aggressive and crawl on him or, you know, go further than I should. I played it very, very conservative. Two of them eventually left. I, I think in total I set up on them three times, three or four times, and was able to pinpoint where they were at. They were on a tiny little oak hammock in, in the middle of with a river on one side of them and basically a donut of uh, – What's the swamp called? Cypress. Cypress Swamp. Um, a donut of Cypress Swamp around that little bitty island. And I was on, like, the mecca of all oak hammocks. It was just beautiful. And, like, and you saw it today. I mean, it, it yeah, looks like nice. perfect habitat for a turkey. And they were on this tiny little 50, probably 50-yard 50 wide circle of it right next to the water. That's where they roosted. That's where they're hanging out. Two of them eventually somehow worked their way away. Um, and I could hear them gobbling as they left. But one of them stayed right there. And uh, I was like, okay, well, I, I can hunt him for a little bit. Um, but I'm not going to mess this up. I'm not going to screw up this area. I'm going to conservatively hunt him. I'm going to get as close as I can get without getting busted. Like, I did not, I, I did not want to get busted in that situation. I got on the edge of the oak hammock that I was in on the, basically, if you could... It was the, uh, the shortest distance that they would have to cross over that swamp to get from where they were at to where... To get from the Oak Island to the main section. To, to the main section. They wouldn't have to cross a giant portion of the swamp. And that's, I mean, in total, I think I set up three times, three or four times. Soft called, never got aggressive with him. I wasn't, I mean, I was doing clucks, a little bit of yelps, not much. Um, but let me tell you, the thing that absolutely killed this bird was when I get, when I first got set up, and I've killed a lot of turkeys just like this. Um, when I first got set up, I pulled out uh, a glass call. Something that I had a little more control over. I don't know how to purr on a mouth call. My, my mouth just doesn't do it. it. It won't do it. It won't make that sound. And I've been running a mouth call for years and years and years, and I just for whatever reason, I can't do it. So I can get on that glass call and just, you know, just really soft. And as soon as I did that, it wasn't five minutes, and I see a head pop up in that swamp, right right on the edge of it, probably 80 yards away. Um, did he come in quiet? They did. The last time he gobbled, he gobbled like crazy, and then he would gobble about every 15 minutes uh, for probably the last hour of his life um he'd gobble about every 15 minutes the last gobble he did was a uh, a shotgun went off across the way that i thought might be all and he gobbled at that shotgun blast and that was and that was the last thing that let me know okay he's still there so i just stayed there did my soft calls and i was going to stay there for probably an hour or so before i made any other moves because i knew he was going to be right there and i knew he knew i was there because he, he had answered me before um, 
they ended up coming out and working their way to the left. Long story short, work their way to the left. Another thing that I did that I think was uh, a really good move and, and really kind of an elementary move for six, for people who have been turkey hunting for a long time, they know this, but maybe somebody hasn't been. Um, when they started coming off to my left and, and I felt like they were going to pass me up and I wasn't going to get a shot, I started casting my calls to the right and just I, I took a risk by moving my hand when they were definitely in eyesight but I had to get that sound to cast that way so that maybe they would turn just enough. They didn't have to turn a lot, but just start angling their way that direction. And sure enough, that's, he did it. I was able to figure out which turkey was a gobbler, and his head popped up. And he started angling my way and turned bright, stinking red. And uh, I rolled him right there. It was wonderful. I, I did not expect it to be a kind of bird that he was you know oh, you shot an absolute giant spurs biggest spurs i've ever killed it's one of the smallest body turkeys i've ever killed uh bird probably these, weighs 15 or 16 pounds these osceolas are little bitty but i mean those spurs were impressive and overall i mean most birds though that are that old or that big get killed the way you killed him patience patience and i told you this yesterday an old guy that i've turkey hunted with forever told me turkeys don't have anything to do and they got all day to do it yeah and especially that bird and soft calling and patience killed him yeah he's just curious and and i think going moving forward there are going to be some turkeys that you absolutely have to get aggressive on uh had we been you know three days from now i probably just started Push really really thinking about how i'm gonna how i'm gonna get in there but today i had no pressure I know that I'm the worst version of myself as a hunter when I start just putting these loads of pressure on myself. When I start having fun and just enjoying the moment and relaxing and getting out of my head, it! that's when it's Good things happen. It, it is, and I wish I could teach myself to do that naturally. And there are some people that I've seen that just, they don't care. You know, they're like, if I kill one, cool. If not, all right we'll get them tomorrow like that and i'm not like that naturally i'm a i'm a hustler especially when it comes to deer i will i will nearly kill myself to try to kill a buck um and turkeys are no different most of the time but today it was just i'd already killed a bird so that was that was another big thing is i really was like i've already been successful on this trip Uh, i don't have to shoot another turkey if i don't get an opportunity i'll go home with meat in the ice chest and a set of spurs and a beard from an Osceola, from my first Osceola. So I was just kind of just relaxing and man that just, that sealed up that idea or theory of just enjoy it, be in the moment, make the right moves, be patient like you said. Mm-hmm. Dude, patience, we talk about it all the time on this show. Patience kills more turkeys than anything. And it's the hardest thing to learn. It, it is. For a run-and-gun turkey hunter, mm-hmm. the reason you're a run-and-gun turkey hunter is because you have no, no patience. patience. <laughs> and I know? think that style pays off more in this setting because that, that bird might have been played with for three days in a row with somebody in there hot on him, mm-hmm. and he might have just turned around and like, eh, yeah, it I, been I know what that is. Saturday and Sunday pouring the coals to him, yeah. Yeah. and he finally heard something different. Just in the, and Like you said, peak his interest. He got curious. I would venture to bet that turkey has probably heard three different hunters 
poor Nicole's cutting and yelping to him for the last five years. For five, you know, yeah. four, five, six years. <laughs> that was no spring chicken. I can yeah. see that. <laughs> yeah. the, the one we shot on Saturday morning was a spring chicken. That was a two-year-old long beard. But this one that Parker killed this morning, special, uh, super special. I, I, I'm pretty daggum certain that is the biggest turkey spur I have physically held in my hands. Really? Yep. Well, daggum. You roll into town. Take his tag, <laughs> kill the biggest turkey. I'm planning on shooting a 150 inch buck out here next year, so not really. That's probably not gonna happen. I don't know that one exists. I don't know, man. There's there's some pretty big bucks out here. It's few and far between, but they're there. I don't think they're going on this property. The crazy thing about here is you you can be 50 yards off and never know the deer's there. Yeah, yeah. It's because it's so thick. It's just. It's I a haven't seen world. I haven't seen a lot of deer sign in here, so. I, um, I found so when we were walking in oh, off the river is, today, yeah, this is great. we were trying to get from the river to get to that oak hammock, and it was just knee Nasty. deep moccasins. It was a great strategy and plan on paper, did not pan out in reality. <laughs> but we were getting to the point where it, the mud was so deep, we were finding old logs that were just peeking above the mud, and you'd step on them and you'd have solid ground. And <laughs> I was walking on one, and I said, Jared, look at that. There was a perfect deer print on top of the log. Really? The deer was walking on the log like we were. Y'all, just y'all because like, he was sinking in. Y'all are like like a full-blooded and Indian. I got quarter Indian in me, bud. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most northern thing I've ever heard. There you go. I got a quarter Indian in me, bud. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we need to get you guys uh, some birds on the ground and yeah. some sleep. I think and, uh, uh, tomorrow morning, Parker and Austin are going to hunt together. Yeah. I think that's the game plan. That's the plan. And yep. my, like, I have plenty of opportunity pretty much every spring to turkey hunt. So killing an Osceola is, is not nearly a big deal to me as it is to y'all. And, and Casey hasn't killed one. He's trying to finish a slam. So Casey, whether he likes it or not, is on the gun until he pulls the trigger. Y'all get on one, though. I mean. We were on two birds. We made. We can work we, on them. Yeah, we made play on two birds this morning. I'll give it. Didn't, didn't work out. I'll but. give it to the two-minute warning, and then I'll go devil horns. Yeah. And I might put the camera down and go kill me one. But until then, I'm just happy hanging out with you guys and experiencing it. We've had a blast. I mean, this is. We've had great, I mean, just great camaraderie, good hunting. The cool thing about this great whole, the whole deal, this whole thing. And also just getting to see something new. Is us four sitting at this table until two days ago had never met each other. Yeah, and, and it's like we've known each other our whole life. Yeah, we're sitting around a table, having a good time, up. turkey hunting, and not a crossword between any of us in the last two days. And we've spent way too much time together. My you wife, know, I Facetimed just, my wife earlier today, and uh, and she was like, "I still just can't. It's so weird to me that y'all don't even y'all never met." <laughs> my and wife was the same and way. You stayed at his house. <laughs> yeah. I'm like yeah, I mean. Yeah. My wife, my wife, on the way down here, she's like, "Would you please turn on your location services?" Because <laughs> I just, I just don't know about you going down there. I'm like, babe, if somebody wants to kill me, they're gonna have to work pretty hard. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a man's man. It, I'm not gonna give up too easy. But no, it's been great. This is, this, this is what it's I mean, all this about. Has been you know? Yeah, I a love turkey fun camps. Weekend of turkey hunting. The yeah. last three days have been. Yesterday went a little awry. Uh, Mother Nature kind of threw us a slider yesterday morning. It poured Saturday night. But I mean, we saw wildlife. We saw hens. We saw 40, 
five pigs probably. There's maybe a goblin turkey in there probably today. Yeah. I would bet. If that water drained out but of there. He farm, had his feathers wet, and he probably sat on the limb till 930. Yeah, he just didn't want to. He, he, was, he was mad yesterday morning about his current life situation. Low pressure, wet feathers, not good for turkey. But we had some dang good sushi. We, we did. did. We, that lifted our spirits. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Got a good nap in. Great nap. Ooh, that was a five-star nap. Rip Van Winkle nap. That was time travel. It was, it was like where you die a little bit. Straight to REM sleep. Woke up, I was like, where am I? <laughs> this is the best. I love those naps. Austin, we're going to go kill a turkey tomorrow. I'm just going to keep it loose, man. Yeah. I'm just, just trying to take a page out of your book and just walk in there. We were talking about it. I was like, we didn't hear anything. You know, we talked about that earlier in the podcast. We got, we got but, molested oh, by no seals. I, they nested in my beard, I'm pretty sure. And, and mosquitoes. Yeah. Gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even describe how big how they big, were. How big are those they mosquitoes? They were huge. <laughs> huge. Huge. Standard operating procedure. Two thermocells, permethrin, and 100% DEET. If I get cancer, I get cancer. It is. I, that's just how I'm going to go out. I will not deal with mosquitoes tomorrow morning. Yeah, I lost my thermocell on Saturday, and uh, we were in Walmart today, and I was like, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to have to go. That's I don't need They're a thermocell. They don't like guns, they don't. What thermocells mandatory and the and the fuel for the thermocell? I spent forty bucks. That's quite a racket they got going. I said, but it's I don't even need them. They don't. The mosquitoes don't like Yankee blood. The thermocell deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. Yes, he does. True. That guy's probably he's on a he's on a Caribbean island, fat yellowfin down in Jupiter, just running charters and yeah, he's drinking beer and (laughs) not a care in the world. He's set, man. His grandkids are set. He's got private. He got private school he's birds got, to hunt. He's, got private he's on buggy. That has been a fun. I he's love on, those turkeys. He's we on have, a buggy we hunt. We have had fun the last couple of days. So Parker obviously hunts predominantly. I'd say ninety-five percent of the time public land. If, yeah, more, more than that, probably. Yeah. And and I'm a pretty solid even mix of fifty-fifty. Like we've, I've grown up deer hunting on, you know, primo leases from the Low Country, South Carolina, Central Georgia, Alabama, mm-hmm. Florida. Um, but have also, at the same time, have almost always hunted public land in some way, some yeah. way, shape, or form. And so I'm, I'm a pretty solid even mix. Like, I'm not scared to go get on public land in the same breath. I have 190 total acres in west central Georgia that is primo, primo private land to deer hunt on. Casey's a... He's a he's a he's and, a private school. Yeah, and so we we've well, had, and I, so <laughs> we, you asked, you asked, but he's also had he's also killed like a record book mule deer on public land. So you asked me when, he, it, when we first met, we've have had, you ever hunted? Good good time the last couple of days, like getting getting yeah. some good ribbon in. Yeah, you asked me the, like when we first met, have you ever turkey hunted public land? And I said no. Well, personally, I've never pulled the trigger, but I've filmed a lot of stuff on public uh, or Alabama club land. I mean, turkeys that have seen <laughs> Alabama Club some land. serious redneck yeah. tomfoolery. And, and I'm going to stick hammer and box here. calls. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick up for Casey here. How big was that buck you shot this year off your family farm? I don't know. I didn't score him, but he's, 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 my, big, he's my biggest whitetail he, ever. He, Casey shot a booner this year in Illinois, okay, and, and it was on private land. He 25 acres. You know, you know there's some joker listening to this right now. It's like, Illinois. He shot it on 25 acres. <laughs> I want you to think about that. And in, in, in Illinois, they're, like in the deep south, we're spoiled. Most of our tracts of land are big. 500 acres is considered oh, yeah. small down here. And I, I mean, so, 1,000, 1,500, 2,500 acre tracts of land are considered the normal. Yeah. And so when you go to a different environment where all of the, quote, private land is so segmented, you can have two or three 
hunters on half a square mile, which is absurd pressure compared to most public land settings. I deal with it on my place in Georgia. We have three mm-hmm. tracks of land, 150, 25, and 9. I tag out on bucks every year. And it's all about pressure. It's all about pressure. It's just being a smart hunter and understanding the situation and going, you know, we're, we're hunting small tracts of land. We cannot hunt every weekend if you want to expect to be successful. And I take a lot of my public land experience mm-hmm. and know-how and a little bit of common sense and also having flexibility of my work schedule to when the time is right, load up and go. Well, I told you guys this. The day I killed that deer, I knew there were seven people within the 240 acres around that 25 acres I killed that deer in. I, I watched three of them walk in, and then I know the other four guys. <laughs> That's more than most public ground as far as a concentration of hunters on a certain oh, land, yeah. land mass. And the, the good thing that you have there in a lot of cases is uh, management mindset and trophy buck mindset Not a lot that. of times. I know you Most told us the, the story time. about The 80 to the east of that, those guys shoot every deer that walks by. They, yeah. they hate deer. And a lot of the farmers up there, that's their mentality. They just shoot deer. They'll let people hunt or they'll lease it to shoot them, shoot them all. Um, but, yeah, that that was uh, a, a special situation. But and what I didn't even tell in the video was the, the stand that I killed that deer. I've been hunting that farm for seven or eight years, and I've killed most of my deer in other spots, but I found that spot, and it's hard to believe Oh, it's 25 acres. What do you mean you didn't find this spot until <laughs> this year? But I hung I hung the stand that I killed that deer out of last year, and I never hunted it because the deer that I was trying to kill got ended up getting killed by the neighbors, and there wasn't another mature deer there. And then I was running some cameras and knew I had, like, six mature deer that were in the area. And I said, there's going to be a mature deer come through there in these three days. We've got three north winds in a row. I don't have any other options. Like, I'm, I'm pretty in tune with what deer I have in the area. I do a lot of scouting. but uh, The key takeaway from that is, I, I think it's easy to miss, that stand had never been hunted. Never been hunted. He hung a stand, and yep. was it two full seasons had never been hunted? Yep. And, the, that's, and, and anybody hunting, listening to this that's in Alabama or anywhere in the deep south on, on a deer lease that's in a hunting club can take away from this. The more you sit those stands over and over and over and over again, they know. Yep. And it's so easy. It's so predictable. I can walk onto it, anybody's deer lease and immediately, like, show me where all your stands are and where your feeders are. Show me what you have on camera and where they're coming from. And within a week, I can go put myself in front of a mature buck. It's like clockwork. Well, and so the key to that is, and we've practiced this on our 150, you have to save your best spots and I, my personal rule is two sits a season. I have 12 permanent lock-on stands on 150 acres, and I enforce it to myself. No stand gets sat more than twice in the season. I don't think you can make a hard and fast rule. I really don't. Because the guy that I know, and I'm not just disagreeing for the sake of disagreement, I, most of the time that's what I do. I don't hunt stands a lot or spots a lot. Yeah. But – one of the the most successful and most popular podcasts we've done was with Bobby Worthington, and he talks about and this guy freaking slays deer, giant deer. Are you familiar with Bobby Worthington? Mm. He used to write for Petersons maybe or somebody. Um, but he is a he's a killer, 
uh, uh, absolute killer. And he talks about in the rut, during the rut, no other time, but during the rut, if you've got a spot that is in a funnel and there's a deer in there that you know you want to kill, you can kill during the rut is the time and you sit that spot. That's how I killed this deer. You, well, he's saying you sit that spot as many days as it takes. That's how I killed this deer. And I, I rarely do it, but I knew that was a spot. It's a pinch, and there was six different mature deer coming mm-hmm. through there in daylight. And I said, I'm going to throw all my rules to the wind. I'm going to sit it on every north wind. Mainly because... And all you my, killed it on the first one? I killed him on the third day. The third day. There. Third day in a row. And goes back to even though you broke your own rules I didn't there the stand was fresh the first time you and I'll, I'll say this in your podcast because I know the people that hunt around me probably aren't going to listen um, I the day before I had a different deer that was mid 170s within 70 yards for two hours and the day before I had, his piss is totally going to show <laughs> is totally going to be heard in the background well I can start that over <laughs> Anyway, no, I don't want to edit it. We'll leave it in. No, so I had, <laughs> yeah, so I had that 170 inch deer the day before there for two hours, just couldn't get him killed. He had a doe pin down. He was I filmed him breeder like 20 times. It was, and it was the coolest deer interaction stuff you could ever experience as a deer hunter. Um, the day before that, I had a different six and a half year old deer that I was, was my number one deer on the whole. Like that was my goal to kill that deer. Uh, I call him Doctor Evil. He's a six year old. 110 inch eight pointer and he's like a dwarf deer he's shorter lengthwise shorter height wise but every trail camera picture i have of that deer for the last three years he's got his ears laid back and he's walking behind another buck <laughs> trying to pace he's running them off he's picking fights just like dr evil just wants to start a fight and burn the world up <laughs> liquid hot mac but i had that deer at 10 yard i mean i'm gonna kill that deer next year i guarantee it that's I hope you do. Last thing I do, and he's not—he's not going to be the biggest deer there. I've got three other deer that are going to be booners. I mean, guaranteed, they're huge. One of them, I named Boone. Showed you a picture of him. That deer is a beast, <laughs> fellas. I don't want him to walk by. Anyway. We got turkeys to kill, though. We, we got turkeys, turkeys to kill, and if we stay up any longer, uh, I, we've been up since four o'clock this morning. We're running pretty ragged, and I like, like I got had a lot of adrenaline today. And, uh, like, I'm... Come on, you're coming down off that high? Yeah, I am. Yeah, you're crashing hard. I'm crashing pretty hard. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, a big shout-out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Spartan Forge, Tethered, New Canoe, and Scree Gear. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, hats, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember this, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.